Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glaser, a mental wealth podcast. Build you from the inside out. Now, here's Jay Glaser. Welcome into Unbreakable, a mental wealth podcast with Jay Glaser. I'm Jay Glaser, and got a Packers helmet here behind me. And it's not because we have a Packer player on with us. We have probably their biggest super fan, if you will. And before I get to him. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year, yet far too many fail to receive their support they need. Carolyn Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carolyn Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. All right, so welcome into Unbreakable, a mental wealth podcast with Jay Glazer. And I'm going to do something a little different here because I did this guy's podcast and he said to me, I want you to introduce yourself. So I'm going to reverse it here and have you introduce yourself how you want to be introduced. Go ahead. Wow. Hi, this is Brian Baumgartner. I haven't done this. I, I've asked now like 200 people and I haven't even thought of it. Yours was incredible. Hi, this is Brian Baumgartner here. Go, Pack, go. <laughs> well, you obviously know Brian from The Office and so many other things, and I've known Brian for years and years. Man, I'm honored to have you on, brother. Well, thank you. It's my it's my pleasure to be here. I like – who signed that Packers helmet there? Who's, who is that? Is, so, so here's what happened. Growing up, I would have my friends in the NFL sign things to my son to cheer him on in life. Yes. So this is signed by John Schneider and Mike McCarthy, and they just have little things to my son, Sammy, like kind of cheering him on, like, hey, you'll always be a winner, never give up, things like that. So I actually just found all these. My son's going to college in Arizona. I just found all these, and I have a whole wall over there. Nice. All these things. And he, he came in the other day where there's a little college girlfriend, and like he never talks about it. He never talks about like my son grew up even like traveling to games with me, going to UFC fights, going to tournaments that my teammates were in and 
and he never talks about it. He's just like, man, yeah, so, you know, just how life was. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, Uncle, Uncle Michael Strand, Uncle Terry Bradshaw. I, uh, I, Randy love, Couture, I, you know, like, I yeah. love that. I love that. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my story. Mine is not, mine is in my office downstairs. But, uh, you know, through golf, really, I've made relationships with not just actors or entertainers, but a lot of uh, sports people, as you know. And I, I had a bottle of wine that Brett Hull, Hall of Fame hockey player, for his Hall of Fame induction, he made up, a, I think it was 100 bottles of custom wine. And he wrote to me, to my, and he gave me a bottle. I think this was for my 40th birthday. And he gave me a bottle and said to my great friend, Brian, and signed it, Brett Hall. And I, I think that the bottle number corresponds with the year that I was born. I think that's right. Anyway, talking about the Packers, Mr. Rogers, Aaron, was at my house and saw this bottle of wine. And he signed an old school Packers banner, like a, you know, like pennant, you know, like the pe- the thing you used to when you were a kid had on the stick, on the wood stick. And he signed it because Brett wrote to my good friend, Aaron wrote to my better friend, get your ass to Green Bay. And that's all, that's all it says. So they sit next to each other in, in my house here. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up out? Like, how'd you become such a big Packer fan? You know, Really, it's it's about it, it was about my relationship with not just Aaron, but A.J. Hawk and and so many other Packers players that I got to know through golf. I grew up in Atlanta and I rooted uh, as a kid for the Falcons. Their history. Um, well, they didn't have the same history <laughs> that Green Bay did. Jerry and I days. Yeah. yeah, Jerry. Glen- that's right. Back in black. Those tackler, whatever. Yep, yep. Steve Barkowski. Mm-hmm. Billy White Shoes Johnson. Hey, Andrews running back, girl. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I, I started going to Green Bay and because I knew so many of the players. And look, if you don't have a reason to hate them, you can't not root for them once you go to Green Bay. The sense of we were talking before about community, the sense of community that they have, that really that family, that spirit that embodies the entire town uh is unlike anything in sports to me and so i very quickly made a lot of other friends there have continued to go back and support not just the organization but the community there as well and it's it, it just it just makes you feel good jay i mean it it first, it just it does first sideline reporting job i ever had was a preseason game of the jets at the packers and wow! I literally, I went out to Lambeau Field, like I stood there, I really looked up to God and I was like, oh my, thank you, my best friend, God almighty in heaven, that I get this opportunity yeah. to be in this place. It's my first experience. Yeah. And it was, man, I, I, I started crying on sideline because I worked so hard and I got rejected for so long on my journey. And even that, I think I was getting 500 bucks to do it because it was just for local WCBS in New York, but I was just so overwhelmed that, you know, I, I try and tell people the pot of gold of the ra- at the end of the rainbow is not 
you making it huge. It's the journey itself. It's all those things. Yeah. You, we never know. You never know if you're going to star in the office. I never know I'm going to star on Fox and about something. You don't know that. So you got right. on your journey, you got to take all these other things that happen to you. And those, that has to be the, the bags of gold that are sitting there at the end of, you know, the end of the rainbow. That for me was a huge pot of gold. Yeah. I'll tell you the story about me going there the first time. And, and I look, look, I know it's cheesy. I know that it was put there for tourists, but Aaron wanted to show me around and brought me down into the locker room, down into the bowels there of Lambeau Field. And then the last thing, I mean, it's the topper is he said, walk out here and it's freezing cold. There's snow everywhere, big jacket on. And we come walking out the tunnel that they walk out from the locker room. And he hits this button and in there, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but it's there. They have crowd noise on speakers. So he hits a button and you hear just this enormous crowd noise echoing through the cold concrete, you know, a uh, pathway out onto the stadium. And that was like one of the coolest, That's one of the coolest cool. things ever. So I want to, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, the journey being the pot of gold and the rainbow. Yeah. Take me through your journey to get to, you know, is the office the pinnacle for you? Is that like, well, pinnacle Sunday for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I can't think of another show. I don't, I don't think it exists, but you know, what I, what I tell people is, you know, we were a big show when we were on, you know, we were winning Emmys and going to the Emmys every year and the Screen Actors Guild Awards and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, we were highly rated. But what I say to people is, you know, we were never like friends. You know, we weren't even Seinfeld when we were on. You know, we were kind of a niche show that a lot of people didn't get. But then this crazy thing happened, probably because of streaming, because of the way that the show was built, all of that, that the show became bigger like four or five years after we were done. I don't think that's ever happened before. So it was like we were we were big. And then it like went to this other stratospheric level. And then, of course, sort of culminating in, you know, I don't know if you heard there was this pandemic that happened a couple of years ago where we were all stuck at home. I don't know if you got, you know, if you watched that kind of news. I have that on TiVo. (laughs) So everyone was staying at home and people were watching The Office again and over and over and over. And, you know, when those streaming numbers came out, and everybody was watching it, it it sort of rose to a whole other level. So, yeah, I mean, it's now been, since I started, this is crazy, almost 20 years since I started, and people are still watching it. They're still consuming it. It's still, you know, by some measures, the most watched television show today and we haven't filmed now in in close to 10 years. It's crazy. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives 
and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me the moment when you realize on this journey, oh, my God, my life changed. Like, things are different. Well, I'll tell, like, the the idiot story first. Like, I had this teeny, teeny little house up in what they call call it Beverly Hills PO, which is, like, above Beverly Hills up in the hills up there. And so I was the closest to the the Beverly Hilton Hotel, which is where they do the Golden Globes. Golden Globes. Oh, I always think about this story. And so everybody kind of came over to then go there. And this uh, guy by the name, uh, this was year, year two of the show, I think. David Denman, who played Roy on the show, came over and he decided he was going to drive us down to the Beverly Hilton. Now, here's what idiots we were. I believe... David drove a Honda Civic and we drove down the hill to the Beverly Hilton thinking we were going to park like we did. This was what we did, how we didn't even know. And we start approaching and they're like, no, you can't get dropped off on the red carpet in the Honda Civic. Like we didn't even know what we were doing. And so he pulled along the side of Wilshire Boulevard. We all got out of the car and he went and parked like a mile away and then had to walk back himself. It was like, we didn't even know any better. And then later that night, Steve Carell won the golden globe for best actor in a comedy series. And it was almost like that night things started changing. Like we went from this show that maybe they would give us a few more episodes to like suddenly 10 million people are watching till, you know, like, Everything sort of, hey, not only can you finish this season, you get another season. Like everything sort of began to change. So like that night sort of for me embodied like a humongous shift in 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 how the show was perceived in terms of where my life was going. And 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 it's certainly changed even more since then. So no, that was the idiot version. Give me the, uh, a version where something happened to you where... I'll give you one for me. I went to the Emmys and I was in the bathroom and there was a bunch of 
big stars in there, and they're like, oh, shit, it's, it's Jay Glazer. Dude, hey, what is uh, – I had Jason Witten on my fantasy team. What did he do today? And then somebody <laughs> like, hey, it's – and then everybody in there, and I'm like, you know, holding my schwanz, and everybody's like, hey, I was like, wait, let's just finish up here. But it's like, guys, I look like, holy shit, I'm talking to this guy and that guy and that guy, and they're all talking to me about their fantasy football teams, and it's like the biggest names in TV. And I'm yeah. like, you got to be shitting me. Like – Oh my God, life has changed. Right? Yeah. So when did you realize that way? Your life changed. Like for, you're not for, anonymous anymore. Yeah. For me, I think it, I mean, similar to what you said, the Sopranos to me was, is my favorite show right. of all time. We were speaking about New Jersey and where you're yeah. from. And that's how I that grew up, but it's how I grew up yeah. happened there. And that was it for me. Like that was my favorite show. And I used to play poker and stop. Playing, I was like, I'm playing golf and poker. Two things take a hundred hours to play. I was like, I have to give up one or the you other to a lot to of money. Up have, both, right. have a family, <laughs> exactly. But James Gandolfini, before he passed, was hosting this event for the LA firefighters. And my brother-in-law is a, a firefighter, and it's important to me. But really, he, he was hosting, and I went, and we both, you know, it was a charity poker thing. We both got busted out pretty early, and. We stand up on the table and he puts his arm around me. And as I described before, like kind of like a very intimidating man turning to a woman at a bar and saying, he turned to me with his arm around me and said, you want to get out of here? And I was like, okay. You know, and my brain is going like, you're hosting the event. Like, where are we going? Like, where are we going exactly? And we went to this little bar next door. And we sat down and had a conversation about art and about career, about being typecast, about I knew at the time they were talking to him about replacing Steve Carell, potentially. I mean, there were so many things. And that for me, like having like and we were probably there an hour and a half or so. And then he had to go back in and like present the award to whoever won the poker tournament. But the experience that I had with him that night and going like, oh, no, my life is this is I never anticipated as I was watching the first season of The Sopranos, uh, as I was doing theater, that I would be ending up here with James having this conversation. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of times you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So on the way to getting the office, like, what's the process? How many auditions? How long until you find out this is really going to happen? And then my second one was, like, when did you guys realize? Well, you told me already. You didn't know it was a hit until. Yeah, so I started out when I graduated from college. All I wanted to do was in the theater i just i i thought and you know i started having some success in the theater i was a theater actor more comedic or more serious really i would say equal but if 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 it was anything i shaded more towards drama and you know serious shakespeare type roles and was doing regional theater stuff doing some touring shows not not musicals and that's just what i thought my my life was going to be and had an experience where I was brought out to Los Angeles and I know everybody in other parts of the country loves to make fun of Los Angeles, but I don't know. It was one of those times where I went out to visit a friend and it was like the air was crisp and clean and sunny. It was probably summer or uh, winter. I don't remember. And I I remember my, my memory goes to Westwood village because the person I was visiting lived near Westwood going to Westwood village and this this magical place called the Coffee Bean, mm-hmm. and sitting out on the the outside tables with just the hills and the sun and the air, like everything feeling so crisp. I was like, this place is freaking awesome. Like this place is, and I so I really sort of fell in love with just the idea of being here. I never had a home. I will say that. I had teams on theater and I think that's why I loved it so much, you know, for three, four, five months at a time, six months at a time, you know, you would, you would all be working together to do a show, but I was from Atlanta and everywhere that I went, Chicago, New York, Minneapolis, Dallas, you know, San Francisco and um, Atlanta was always home. Like I never really felt like I, I found a home sort of, a, you know, tied to a place. It was always like, you know, where are you from? I would say Atlanta and not like, where are you, where did you grow up? But like, where, where, where are you from? Like if I met someone, I would never say like Minneapolis or New York or Chicago, or whatever. When I moved to Southern California, I was like, this is my home. 
And so I, I loved the place first. And then I thought, well, this is theater's hard work, Jay. I mean, I know you've done a lot of things that are hard. Theater is hard. I mean, you're talking about eight shows a week. Your one day off is Monday, which nobody has Monday off. Spoiler alert. It's very, very difficult. And I thought, all right, I'm going to get a couple things in in line. I'm going to get into Screen Actors Guild. You know, I was in Actors Equity, you know, just to try to to have a baseline of I know what I'm doing. And then I'm going to go out to Los Angeles and I'm going to I'm going to try it. And I arrived into L.A. and within three months, four months, I, I met the folks on on the office and, you know, I know hard work is important to you. And people will say like, oh, my God, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. But I'll tell you, my work at the time, so funny you brought up TiVo. I think I was the poorest person in the country that had the highest level of TiVo when I moved out. Because this was before it was it was like, you know, it just sort of came with everything. And I watched television. And movies. I tried to, because for me, it was like, if I get an audition on this show, like, if I don't know what's the genre, what's the style, what's the humor like, like how, like, what are they looking for? To me, it was like, you're just sort of shooting, shooting blanks. And I got introduced to a little British show called The Office very early on. And when they were going to make it in the United States, I went to my manager who was like my manager for like a week at the time. And I said, this is my show. This is the, I get this. I get this. I get this humor. I get what they're looking for. I understand that they're not looking for Jennifer Aniston and, and people like that. They want more normal looking people. Yeah. So I met them at audition, ended up knowing that it was close and then it was this, yeah, I, I think I waited longer than than a person should have to, uh, three weeks-ish, and I got the call that, That's not so that long. I got the role. No, that- when every day, and you know they're about to start rolling, and you haven't heard, and you haven't heard, and you haven't heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, okay. like My first full-time job was CBS Sports in 1999. I interviewed with them, I think, in, like, February or March to be their new NFL insider. And funny enough, it actually went down between me and Adam Schefter, who's, who's the Denver Post at the time. And now, obviously, you know, we've been going at it for a long time. Yeah. And I think I got it because I lived in New York. But they didn't call me back until the week before training camp in wow. July. And it was like, okay, so you got you know, you to start uh, going to camps next week, right? I'm like, well, my agent's like, hey, you finally got a full-time job. Like, where I'm like, and I was like, I'll take it. He's like, don't you want to know how much it's for? Cause I was so broke for so long. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. It's a full-time job. I will take it. It was for 50 grand a year at CBS sports. He's like, can you start next week? So I waited all that time and never heard back. And I always tell people like, it's so hard to hurry up and wait. It's just, it's awful yeah. to go through. It's so three weeks horrible. isn't that bad for you. No, not, yeah. not so bad. Right. Okay. Not but so when did you realize when you guys are filming it, do you realize Oh man, this is special. We got some, cause I know like Seinfeld was, their ratings were, they were dead last for a while until boom, people connected. When we did were you bad. realize we were, we were bad we were too? Bad, really? Yeah, we were bad too. I mean, I remember, you know, we shot the pilot, wasn't sure if we were going to get picked up, got picked up, 
six total episodes. Wow. But I, when we came back, and so very similar to Seinfeld, when we came back, the first episode that we did after the pilot was called Diversity Day, some people's favorite episode. And I remember, I remember so specifically, Jay, being there on set and saying to people, man, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to give this a chance, but if they do, what we're talking about here, what we're doing here is really, really special. Like I saw it then how, how different it was. And uh, yeah, it, it, people didn't right away. Right. People didn't, you know, they go back now. Very few people saw that episode when it aired. But, uh, you know, again, we, we did six and we came back and did six more in season two, which people did, people, they, they needed an insider reporting it. Nobody was reporting it. They just said the office was brought back and we were the only ones who knew they only brought us back for six episodes. Wow. We shot them in the summer. We finished, we finished the six before any of them started airing. And then we cleaned out our trailers and thought that was it. That no was way. it. We got to do, we got to do 12 and we went away. So this was, you know, roughly top of September. It usually starts airing like the first, second week of September started airing, started doing better, started doing better. And then they were like, okay, you're going to come back and do a few more. You're going to do a few more. And then the night that I referenced before, that was, you know, January, early January, Steve won the Golden Globe. The Christmas episode went bonk bonkers. People just went crazy for it. And uh, they were like, okay, you can come back and finish this season, which I think was another 10 or something more. And then like a week later, they gave us a whole other year. Wow. And at that point, we were set. It and is that when you knew also like, huh, I can't tell. Like I'm going to have a steady paycheck. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Because again, what you, what, you know, what so many people don't realize is, you know, you, you weren't making very, you weren't making very much money at that time and we were paid per episode. So, you know, it's hard math is hard for me, but so say we shot the pilot February ish of 2004 and we, shoot one then we shoot five more then it it doesn't air nothing is on television until march of 2005 so we got oh six paychecks in over a year wow. and then we didn't start shooting again until like i said like july to do the second six like wow. july of 2005 so it really was almost two full years of like Living off six paychecks per year. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm assuming that's people are sitting there going, oh, you're an actor on it. It's not millions or millions. It's not. No. Yeah. So, like, no. <laughs> right. No, I think that I think the first, you know, I, I don't want to say it wrong, but I think those first six episodes, I made about thirty five hundred dollars for one. Wow. Those first. Really? Six. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's about twenty five grand a year. Well, yeah, I'm not great at math. For a, for a year. Right? Huh? Things quickly changed after that, Jay. <laughs> but that's Jay? incredible. But so that's, yeah. that's unbelievable. You go back and you get the, and again, for everybody out there who's sitting there going, oh man, this is going to be my dream. You don't understand like the, oh, the pain of that we go through to try and get to where you can exhale and go, I can pay my bills. And by the way, I don't know about if it's like this for you, but you know, it was 11 years of me making nine grand and, and, Man, just being rejected over and over, and you have this fear of not being able to pay your bills. For me, that fear has never gone away. I still think 
Monday, I can't pay my bills. And I'm horrified. And it's like this monster that builds up inside you and you're always living. That's that's part of the anxiety that I talk about. Even though I've been on Fox and will send it for 20 years, it's still like, oh, Monday, it's going to be gone. I'm going to do something. <clears throat> it's all over. Do you? Yeah. It's hard to get over, right? Same. Is, uh, oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I'll tell you something else. I haven't said this very, very much. My best friend at the time, and he laughed and laughed and laughed about it later, told me to quit wow. that show. He goes that you know it's not airing. It's this is not gonna you know this is not gonna end well. Like like you said, whatever it was, you know three four thousand dollars times six. That's a year, and you're waiting. You're just waiting, and you're waiting, and you're like, well, I think we have a chance. Again, I felt like we had a chance to be something special, but no guarantees and people right. weren't watching. And that's what he was saying. Like, nobody's watching. You could get on another show in a second. Like, just go, you know, tell wow. them to go F themselves and go do this or that. Imagine, imagine if wow. that had been me. Yeah. <laughs> what could yeah. have been? Yeah, right. exactly. And, and were there like non-competes? You're not allowed to do other shows or you just... Yeah, I mean, at a, yeah, at a certain point, yeah, you, it's ex, it's there's some exclusivity, but then because of how I was hired, those first six, I could have, I could have gone. Okay. After that, no, I couldn't have. But at that point, I could have just said, "Now, nah, you know, you're not getting pregnant with me. Wow. I'm there's no guarantee. I'm going to go on two and a half men or something." Right. <laughs> how hard is it not to like when you're sitting there watching Steve Carell and he's just doing his thing? Is it just you guys are just used to not laughing or how hard is it not to laugh? We laughed. We would 100 percent laugh and we would try to not because we didn't want to ruin takes. I had a trick. I had uh, my my fingernail, my pointer finger. I would take and I would dig into the skin behind my nail of my thumb, like at my side. Right. I would do that. So that my brain would focus on the pain of my fingernail going in to try to not laugh. No yeah. way. We're, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. you have any fingernail skin left. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Would, would you guys anytime try and make someone bust out? 100%. Always. And that's what he was trying to do. You know, it, it's funny. He believed that great entertainment and certainly great comedy exists like right on the precipice. Right. So it's not like, and, and it's so, it's so pleasurable when you see Saturday night live, I recently right. watched the Chris Farley down by the river yeah, thing. Yeah. And you're seeing David Spade yeah. and Christina Applegate, like laugh totally. Right. That was something we, we were not allowed to do on Spade our show, they, but Spade got in trouble for it. Yeah, he did. We, he got in trouble by, from Lauren Michaels. From Lauren. I know it's so pleasurable <laughs> when you see that happen, but you know, we couldn't do that. And I, but, but trying to get someone to that point where they're about to the energy that is created there, that's what he was trying to do. So Steve really, um, I mean, we rehearsed and you know, the cameras had to rehearse and where we were going and what we were doing. But, you know, I've described it before. To me, my my recollection was he was like the nutty professor, right? Like he was like, um, all right, you know, like where, you know, and he would have speeches and speeches and speeches in front of us. And he would just be like, you know, like kind of like, you know, as we were like rehearsing and looking at the papers and and then he would go away 
And he would put on his Superman cape, which in the office was that suit and tie like he always wore. And he would come back in and it was all dialed. But I believe he didn't want to give it. He didn't want to give anything away. He didn't want us to see what he was going to do because he wanted that live moment, that live reaction of him doing what he did unrehearsed, essentially. How how close were you guys as as a group? Could not have been closer. So you guys hung out offset a lot? Offset a lot. And it's not like, oh, until we became big, like, you know, everybody was over it. No, it was because we just got so damn busy. I mean, we were shooting 30 episodes a year there for a while. But the first year to really into the second full year, we watched every episode as it aired on NBC at someone's house. Really? Mm -hmm. Very cool. 100%. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's the magic for any great show, like, look, we all watch college football together, and we used to together get go to Bradshaw's room, and all of us together sit there and watch college football and talk all sorts of shit to each other. But like, we as a group, like, we we go to on trips together, we spend every holiday together, and I think that shows. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's the authenticity, right? Yeah. No, a- yeah. absolutely. That's very cool, man. All right, before I let you go, man, I love having you on here. I ask all my guests this: Look, we've all had journeys to get to where we are. And this could be professional, this could be personal, whatever it is. Give me the one moment in your life that could have broken you or should have, but didn't. And as a result, you came through the other side of that tunnel stronger forever. Yeah, well, mine's are easy. So my dream growing up was to be the first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. That was that was what I was going to do. It was a I was a decent baseball player. Uh, I could hit. I don't know that I was very good in the field, but that was what I was going to do. And I had my bone in the lower part of my leg was uh, not aligned. So in other words, if my knee was straight, my foot was out at not a 45 degree angle, but it was it was pointed out. So it wasn't lined up. So what I was told was, look, if this is really what you want to do, like you could live forever this way. But if this is really what you want to do, you've got to get faster and you've got to get your foot and your knee lined up so that everything's working together. So it was a totally elective surgery that I did because I I wanted sports. And I went in and essentially what they do, for those of you queasy, sorry, they go in and they cut both bones, your tibia and your fibula of the lower part of your leg. They realign it with just like you've broken it, but they realign your foot and your knee together. They put screws and bolts in there and then a year later they take them out well so i go in i get this i'm a teenager and something goes wrong they don't know why it's so funny i was just talking about this with with my parents like over the holidays this year like why why didn't like whatever why wasn't there an investigation or like whatever it was either that the splint that they put on the cast either got too hot or there was a pressure point where my leg was propped up or there was some chemical mismixture in the in the in the splint but my leg was propped up I was in the hospital and after a couple of days I was like I'm having pain and they gave me morphine and the next day I said I'm having pain and they they gave me morphine and finally by I don't know the third fourth day they were like well, this should not be like this so they cut the splint off and it had burned through to my Achilles tendon at the bottom where the base of the cast splint was stabilizing the legs. Something had happened there and it had, had burned all, all the way through. 
So for a year, I ended up, I was in a wheelchair. I had a walker. I had to relearn to walk again. Wow. Yeah. And, and have skin, you know, all that stuff done. I mean, I still have at the back of my leg, a huge scar, scar back there. And so that now, whether I could have been, well, it ended my athletic career. I mean, at that point, I think those formative years, you know, they did the, the baseball league I was playing. They instituted a special rule for me where they let me hit and someone would run for me for a, a year. But it just for me, it felt like those dreams because of this were gone. Now, you know, it's so silly to say you got someone tearing their Achilles and they're back out there. But I didn't have the training. I didn't have the, you know, the resources at that time to to do it. And or my focus just changed. I was an active kid and I needed something to do during this time when I, I couldn't do the things that I used to do, which was a sport every season. And so I started doing theater and that brought me into theater, which I did sort of just at the time as an activity, something to do. I was pretty good at it and outgoing and loud or whatever. And it, it worked, but I, I fell in love with that and, and really the art of creating characters, but that, that experience yeah, changed what I believe to be the trajectory of my life. I always try and tell people, man, don't try and figure life out because it'll drive you crazy. You never know. Like that's, yeah. that's what that's what having faith is. Realizing, man, this thing ruined my dream of athletics. Man, it's over. Why? And if you have faith, you know, a lot of times the universe and God will bring you to where you're supposed to go, yeah. and and all your dreams will come true. So I'm sure you I'm sure you're living in a, in a world now where you're saying. Yeah, it's as great as the Atlanta phrase would have been. Yeah. Your office is pretty damn cool. <laughs> yeah. No, a hundred percent. And you know, and this was like, yeah, as a kid, like saying I want to be a fireman or whatever, like right. I, like who even knows the reality of right. that? Even if this thing goes per, like, am I re, you know, am I really that good? Is that really right. what I'm going to do? I was good enough. Right. I mean, but I can say have a dream humility. Doesn't, yeah. I was, yeah. I was good enough that I got an elective surgery because I right. wanted to be better right. at sports. Right. So I did that, but in all likelihood, I play through high school and never again. And right. maybe I become a real accountant instead of a fake one. Like I, have, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but, but oh, I man. would not have done, I would not have focused right. on the theater if, if that had not happened for sure. Brother, I appreciate you, man. That's a great story. I appreciate your vulnerability on that. Very cool, man. It's a great lesson as we all try to build our mental wealth up for everybody here. Brian. Jay, thank Bell you so Gardner, much, man. My dude. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. 
Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.